You're listening to Fire Trainers Podcast, Season 4, Episode 1, published on September 5th, 2022. In this episode, we'll be talking with Brian McLaughlin about range medicine and what he's been doing over at Mountain Man Medical. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and sit back and relax for this week's episode. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit the website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. All certified instructors can apply for FTA coverage. And remember, for listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off on your policy by adding promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by NA Tactical. As instructors, our students are always asking us what gear we use. I always tell them I use NA Tactical. Do you know that NA Tactical offers several designs, each with extreme comfort for all-day carry? The Revenant and Professional holsters have a patented tuckable design, adjustable cant, and secure twist release. My personal favorite is the K01. It is an all-kydex appendix holster that I can carry all day in comfort. All of NA's holsters come with a two-week try-it guarantee and a lifetime warranty even on the clip. Remember to check out their Flex Mag Carrier also. It has a three-layer comfort backer and will accommodate several sizes of the magazines. Shop at natactical.com to find your next holster. That's the letter N, the number eight, tactical.com. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America, like you, that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Brian McLaughlin from Mountain Men Medical. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for coming back on the uh, podcast. Talk to us about medical stuff again. Thanks for having me, Rob. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, hey, for those listeners that haven't uh, heard you from before, can you give us a little bit of our, your background and what you do at Mountain Man Medical? Sure. Yeah, I spent some time in the military as a uh, corpsman. Um, for those of you that don't know, it's kind of like a medic for the Marine Corps. So I spent some time uh, with them in Afghanistan uh, doing combat trauma management. I uh, spent some time in the ER working at uh, 29 Palms running clinics and that kind of stuff. Um, got out, um, was uh, working in the ER as an ER tech. And then I got out, uh, had a couple of different companies where I was uh, teaching trauma management to uh, faith-based securities uh, teams, uh, teaching them trauma medicine and tactics. Um, and then uh, now I am the subject matter expert and the um, director of medical training and product development over at Mad- Mountain Man Medical. So all of the trauma kits are based on my designs on things that I've used um, and things that I trust. So I develop all the kits and all the items that go into them. And um, I have a little YouTube channel where I talk about trauma medicine and I travel around to conferences and teach that. Um, so uh, if you want to get trained up on trauma medicine and you need quality trauma gear, then uh, head over to Mount Man Medical. Yeah, I definitely. Uh... I definitely call you up when I get questions on medical gear because uh, you know your stuff and um, there's a lot of uh, imposters out there, but you know w- what gear you can trust with your life, literally. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, some of it's hard won. Uh, a lot of it. I also, I do a lot of uh, my own research and staying on top of uh, the current research and documentation on trauma medicine. So it gives me an opportunity to uh, educate myself uh, quite a bit. So I, I enjoy it. Yeah, good. Well, I really appreciate you coming on because we've got a very interesting topic today because Mountain Man Medical has come out with some interesting information for instructors, specifically when it comes to range medicine and 
properly managing it and addressing you know, medical issues on a range. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what Mountain Men Medical has come out with? Yeah. Uh, well, um, we uh, originally we have had a uh, training course on trauma management uh, called the Emergency Trauma Response Course. And that is teaching like basic trauma medicine, how to apply a tourniquet, how to do wound packing and chest seals and that kind of stuff. Um, so we had done that a couple of years ago, and that was pretty successful. We have a lot of people that take that course. Um, so we thought it might be good to come out with a range safety uh, course, um, kind of dealing with some of the things that you might have and might see out on the range. And we did this in uh, collaboration with Tech Med Solutions. Um, and they are the producers of one of the most popular tourniquets on the market, the soft T. Um, I would say it's second in popularity only to the cat tourniquet. And uh, we went out there to their facilities and um, uh, shot uh, quite a bit of footage um, with uh, um, Dennis Lyons. He is a special forces medic. And he was teaching us a lot of um, the range safety medicine and how to use all of the equipment uh, to take care of somebody. So uh, we went through a bunch of different things. Um, we have nine separate classes all together. They range in um, timeframes of 20 minutes down to three or four minutes. Uh, so it won't take a whole lot of time. Um, and you'll go over things like um, the responsibility of the firearm medic or the firearm trainer and medic, uh, a medical response plan, how to develop your own so that it meets your particular criteria for your particular situation. And uh uh, a lot of other things uh, dealing with some of the things that you'll see out there on the range. So I've been to tons of ranges over the years, uh, both in the military and as a civilian. So I've seen a lot of different injuries when I've been out there. So uh, we go over a lot of those different types of things that you might see. The more obvious ones, obviously, a gunshot wound, how to take care of one of those. Um, but maybe some of the less common things that you might think about, like uh, heat exposure, uh, mm -hmm. if you have like heat exhaustion, environmental concerns, cold exposure, um, and things like that. So it's kind of a, uh, a well-rounded course that kind of hits on all of the things that you might expect to see. And then some of the ways that you can kind of prepare and plan for a traumatic injury on your range with your students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you know, you think about injuries on the range, um, you know, gunshot wounds are, you know, very rare. Um, you know, we are, we are using guns, you know, they can happen and we got prepared for it, but at the same time, you know, people falling, you know, those abrasions, you have those issues. Um, you also have the standard cardiac issues, you know, strokes. Um, I mean, let's face it when you're in the military, you've got a lot of, you know, very well conditioned, uh, young men and women that are in it. When you start getting into public classes, you've got a whole range of everything that's in, in the public from people that are in very good physical condition to those that might not be in physical conditions. You have the young, you have the old, and you also have the one thing that is probably the scariest most when it comes to instructors. In my mind, it's the one, it's the people that don't know that they've got a medical condition. It's one thing if somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, I'm diabetic. So I might have to eat something, you know, in the middle of class, it's nothing personal. I just have to keep my sugar levels up, but it's a whole nother one. When you go along and all of a sudden you've got a, you know, good, you know, a good condition, 30 year old who starts, um, you know, having problems and sweating profusely and you're trying to figure out, okay, what in the heck's going on this uh, with uh, this person. And if they have an undiagnosed problem, then you're set and then you're sitting there trying to 
you've got to figure out something to do, um, you know, before the ambulance gets there. That's sure. absolutely true. I'm glad you said something about the cardiac issues, um, because that's definitely something that I've been seeing an increase in the trend of uh, firearms instructors having AEDs on location. Um, I highly recommend that. You know, there are a lot of elderly and older shooters, uh, a lot of people that don't get out and get their exercise like they're supposed to, and they go out and they work hard in this crazy heat that we have in the summer. And you start to see people to kind of drop like flies. And part of the problem is also you get people with egos. They don't mm -hmm. want to tell you that they want to take a break. So being aware of that, especially here in the summer, this is hot, hot. Uh, people are out there sweating and the elderly are especially at risk here. So if you have you know older students in your class, make sure that you're keeping an eye on them because they might not want to tell you. They don't want to look weak in front of everybody else. So keeping an eye out for those people who aren't talking to you and encouraging them to go sit down, maybe forcing them, hey, take a few minutes, sit this one out in the shade, just listen to this and um, and then come back when you're feeling a little bit better. That's going to be key. And here's two things for people to uh, or instructors to realize. And I take this from my camping experience. If somebody's going long and they're not sweating, that's a bad sign, bad sign because that means they don't have enough water in them to sweat or here's another sign before it gets it gets that bad if somebody's going along and it's like you know they haven't gone long and peed for you know three or four hours guess what their body is sweating out all all that water and that's really bad because urine is the way the body expels um you know uh, contaminants and things like that and you want to be you want to be sweating that's normal. And you also want to be urinating at the, at the same time, because those two functions mean that your body's uh, functioning properly. If you're not doing both of them, uh, then you've got to start looking and take more uh, water in, intake. Um, and at the same time, when you go along and do water intake, something you got to be careful about and it might seem very obvious. We're going to go along and have five gallons of water and everybody can drink it. But if they sweat enough, they can get electrolyte imbalance. And that's where going along have Gatorade available. I'm not saying you got to go along and replace all the water with Gatorade, but keep in mind how that affects people and, and everything. As the instructor, you want to make sure that your students, um, you know, go along just like, yeah, okay, Brian hasn't, you know, gone to the bathroom for a while and I, you know, I just see him sipping on the water. Well, if he's not drinking, and I mean like chugging water and everybody else is, he's going to go along and get behind that curve when it comes to the water and you need to say something. And here's one other thing that to go along and warn instructors about. Don't forget about yourself. You're so busy going along, checking everybody else, putting new targets up, going along, scoring, getting ready to the next one. Um, you know, take, you know, take five minutes for yourself. Um, your students aren't going to complain if they get a, an extra five minutes. And at the same time, you want to stay healthy because if you go down, then class is over and they've got to go along and figure out what they're going to do um, from a class standpoint. That would be not, that would definitely be a, be a uh, un unfortunate situation. Absolutely. I, I agree with everything that you said there. That electrolyte imbalance is called hyponatremia. I've seen that before. Um, a lot of times, you know, like exactly like you just said, you know, knowing your population, who are the people that are at risk and who are you working on is important. You know, being in the military, um, being medical in the military, you're afforded 
some significant advantages. You know, they don't let you join if you have a significant health problem. These mm-hmm. are very young, very fit, extremely healthy dudes who are very well, you know, they got great nutrition and hydration. So dealing with them is not that big of a deal, but you still see that all the time with guys chugging way too much water and then not having enough electrolytes in their system. Pretty often um, I would run into a guy on some of these the death marches or whatever rucks that we would do. And I'd run up on a guy like, you've been drinking water. Like, yeah. Like, did you eat breakfast? And like, no, like, well, that's your problem. You've been drinking water like you're supposed to, but you skipped breakfast and that's where you get all your electrolytes. So having snacks around is always nice. Um, having some um, sugar nearby is always good in case you have diabetic patients and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but making sure that you've got cold water and, a place for people to rest out of the sun is one of those things that's going to be ideal. You don't want to be treating heat casualties. You want to be preventing those heat casualties. So frequent breaks, keeping an eye on everybody. And of course, like you said, taking care of yourself. Definitely. And, uh, you know, instructors that teach out in the heat, you know, make sure you have a, uh, assistant that's taking care of the water that he's looking for the same kind of, uh, uh, same kind of conditions as you are. When it comes to, you know, that people are, are peeing, people are, you know, get, having, you know, something to eat to keep the electrolytes balanced and making sure that you, you've got plenty of water. You know, you might, might sound like you got a lot of water until all of a sudden your class of 15, they all uh, drink, you know, three or four bottles of water because you're telling them to drink water. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, we just went through two full cases of water. Well, that's a good thing, but guess what? You need to get that more water there because you don't want the class to be sitting there for an hour waiting for somebody to uh drive uh away to to the grocery store to get more water just uh just some ideas keep in mind absolutely and and that ice not only helps to cool down your students throughout the day but if you do have a heat casualty you've got ice on standby to pack into their uh auxiliaries right into their uh their groin, their neck, and underneath their armpits to help getting them cooled down. So not only is it beneficial for your students as a whole throughout the day, but then if you also have a heat casualty, you've got something there on standby to cool them down. On top of that, um, one of the things that I love to do is that every bay, every shooting bay has got its own trauma kit. But inside each one of those trauma kits, I'll also have a uh, packet of electrolyte powder, uh, drink powder that you can just mix in and shake up and then hand it out to somebody. So if somebody's starting to feel look like they're they're getting a little uh, a little wore out and they're not uh, hydrating properly, getting that to them is going to help to uh, change that electrolyte imbalance a little bit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And keep in mind when you are doing drills standing and shooting stationary drills uh takes one level of energy if you're having the students run from one side of the range to the other side and back and forth back and forth you're expending several times more energy doing that same type and you need to take those breaks um because the one thing about all these uh heat related injuries they can lead to other injuries a, you know, when people uh, get dehydrated, they might not make the best decisions in the world. And we're talking about being around firearms, but it also means, are they going to trip? Or are they going to fall? And that might, okay, so they get a boo-boo. Well, what happens if they go along face plant because they pass out or something, and all of a sudden they got a broken nose and a contusion on their head, different things like that. Guess what? That's going to take the fun out of the, out of the day. And those are the types of things where uh, heat can 
definitely be a precursor to a whole lot of issues and why I go along when I, when I teach my class, make sure I've got plenty of water, electrolytes, and, you know, make sure I'm monitoring what the students are doing so that I don't push them too far. And also make sure I monitor myself to make sure I, I'm not pushing myself too far. If I'm, if I'm feeling it, I'm sure the students are feeling it. Yeah. If you go down, nobody gets helped. I think that's one of the most important things is, uh, is coming up with a good plan. Having it written down is really, really good. Uh, I know a lot of instructors will laminate a card that has the entire plan down. And then that is stuck like either in the trauma kit or near the trauma kit so that everybody knows the plan. Um, one of the things that you'll tend to see is that there will be a plan, but then only one person knows it or only one person knows it well. And one of the things that Dennis Lyons really uh, hit on during this course is making sure that the plan is in place, it's known, and then it's also rehearsed. So maybe starting out your training evolution with a quick trauma course or a quick um, scenario where tourniquets need to apl be applied to everybody involved. And then everybody runs through the plan the way it's supposed to be done. The very first experience, if anything goes wrong, everybody's already moving and helping out when it counts the most. And um, that's where you're going to see uh, your greatest successes. Season three, episode 13 with Clint Macro, we went over range safety briefings to make sure everybody's on the same page with it. Because um, as I said, it could be the instructor that goes down. Um, you could have a lot of different, different issues. The last thing you want to do is have people sitting around wondering what to do. Um, one of the issues I bring up when it comes to range safety to think about most ranges uh, that I deal with are out in the country. Uh, I'm also right around Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio. Um, I'm literally looking out uh, across the Ohio River at Kentucky right now. That's how close I am to it. And when I dial 911 on my phone, I may or may not get the right uh, dispatch center. And mm -hmm. when I'm teaching in Indiana, I may or may not get the right one because we're all so close. The one thing to keep in mind with that is on my laminated card that I've got my trauma kit that when I take the range, I have the direct uh, dispatch number for that county. And what that means is that somebody dials it and they go along and start saying state route what or, and what and what, where are you? They, when they tell them that, they're like, okay, we've got somebody in route. We can do this. Boom, boom, boom. Because Prior to that, I'd had situations where I'd seen car accidents and you spend two or three minutes uh, in confusion while they're trying to figure out that, oh, wait, I'm talking to Kentucky and I'm, a, and I'm trying to get 911 in Ohio and they've got to transfer you to Ohio. And that's mm -hmm. where when time's of the essence, you want to make sure you get the right the right information to them and get and talk to the right people. Here's another uh, one thing, another piece of information I think it's critical for your laminated card. Put the GPS locations on it. Because in a lot of cases, again, ranges, they're not right on the road with a big sign that says range is here. I mean, commercial places, yes. But um, if you're going to a sportsman's club, different things like that, I've had where you turn down the, an old gravel road and then you go a mile and then you are there at the range. And if the ambulance that responds doesn't know that, it could be really difficult for them to find you. And that's where if you give them a, the GPS coordinates, they can find it. If you need a helicopter extraction, guess what? You've got uh, GPS coordinates what the helicopter can use. And those are all pieces of information that can save you time and you know get help to you faster. 
Absolutely. I think coming up with all that stuff ahead of time is what's key. You know, you don't want to be trying to figure all that stuff on your phone when someone's sitting there bleeding, right? So doing it ahead of time is always key. Um, that's where the range safety course kind of comes in, help you to start thinking along those lines so that you and all of your students are, are even safer. Um, additionally, one of the things that we do is as soon as you finish the course, we have a form um, that we've created to um, make it easier for your planning. It's a range safety checklist. And basically you just fill in all of the information that it has on there. And then you can take that form and post that wherever you need to. And that will be your plan. Um, and you can change and adjust that however you need to, to suit your purposes. Um, but in coordination with a lot of uh, different instructors, we came up with this uh, range safety checklist. So you can just run down the checklist, check everything off, fill everything in, and there is your plan in place for everybody to look at and see whenever they need to. And here's one thing I would say, too, is uh, having a form is good. But taking the course is really important because that gives you the basis to know what to put on that form. And not only instructor, but your assistant instructors and the different people that will be there, if they can take take uh, the course, can really be helpful. Because, again, as Brian was talking about, um, you know, when you have a, a, a serious situation, you want multiple people to know and understand what needs to be done so it can be done quickly and efficiently and, and knowing how to stop bleeding, how to recognize heat injuries how to how to recognize cardiac issues or stroke issues uh, you know again comes down to the age and the clientele that we're uh, dealing with you know all the all the normal things that could could be popping up make sure you're familiar with them so you're not caught off guard by it mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's always nice to you know i know you already mentioned a little bit um i like to have uh, put out the word at the safety briefing that if you have any medical conditions or if you're on any particular types of medications that you come up and talk to me afterwards. And that's something that's pretty beneficial because, you know, not everybody wants to have all their medical knowledge out there and in the world. So leaving it kind of open-ended like that, come talk to me, you know, on the side, if you, you have any of these issues, there's nothing that I haven't heard. Right. So I'm going to be very um, calm and collect about it, but um, uh, it's, puts them on my radar as somebody that I really need to be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that I'm very uh, keen when, when I hear to understand, to go along and make sure I keep an eye on it. Somebody tells me that I'm blood thinners. Now, you know, that's probably for their heart and different things like that. But the part that puts me on alert is if that person goes along and gets a scratch on them, I've got to be very cautious to see if that, if that uh, bleeding will stop simply or whether they actually have to go to the hospital. And it's one of those uh, side effects to blood thinners that even the smallest scratch won't stop. Um, the blood won't coagulate uh, properly. So they've got to go to the hospital even for the smallest scratch on them. And those are the types of things that if I can see it and know it, it's like, okay, it's halfway through the class, but you're bleeding. It's not stopping. Um, you know, do you want to, you know, we call 911 or do you want to go, you know, uh, have somebody else drive you to the hospital, you know, those types of things and make sure we stay on top of it versus, you know, potentially him, you know, passing out or going along and, you know, trying to sit there for, for way too long a time before he decides that we actually have to go because if you spend too much time, you're going to end up calling 911 versus walking into the uh, emergency room for a situation like that. I, uh, I think that's one of the age old questions there that, um, when do you transport, you know, I get mm -hmm. that question quite a bit. I, I get a lot of friends and family, you know, like, oh, I, Brian's a medic. Let me 
call him and ask him about this emergency medical thing. And whenever they call me, you know, my, my first answer is usually if you're really worried, go to the ER. Um, and that's, that's the rule of thumb is like people, you know, like, should I go in? Should I not? The best case scenario is that they say, Hey, you came in for no reason. And you were a little too worried about this situation and everything's going to be okay. So that's way better than the alternate where you hope for the best. And then that person winds up dying. So I like to get that person checked out. The best rule of thumb is if you're worried about this person at all, get them checked out, get them seen. Um, the other question I get is how fast do you drive to the ER? If you're in a rural lo location, you got to drive a lot of dirt roads you might need to take that casualty to a rendezvous point and meet up with EMS coming your direction. So how fast do you get there? Right. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of one of the questions you don't want to drive so fast that you wind up rolling the vehicle. And now you have five casualties instead of just one. Right. So we have to be able to manage that risk appropriately. Um, and the general rule of thumb is to drive more quickly than you normally would, but as safely as possible. Uh, Dennis Lyons in the course says that um, you should drive kind of in the same way that you're late for something, but you got your kids in the back. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If the if the person dies on the way to the hospital, that's bad, but at least you got there as safely as possible with as few casualties as possible. Mm -hmm. And I and I would add a note to that too is if you're going to be transporting. Make sure you're calling 911 or in in communication with the dispatch center so that they understand where you're going. Because if you if they're heading the range and you're flying past them, you're going to waste valuable time as you're calling back and have them turn around or have you turn around. And it's just a bad situation all the way around. It's better to go along and say, "Hey, I'm going to go this way," and they can tell you, "Okay, we're going to we've got a sheriff deputy. He'll meet you here, and then you can follow him." Type of thing to to expedite things, or the ambulance will meet you at this uh, exit off the interstate. Something along those lines. And again, it comes down to communication and proper planning. Um, you know, does somebody have a a better vehicle to uh, go go along and transport somebody in or do you t try to uh, go along and um you know transport them in a mini cooper mini cooper you know hey neat car but it's not very uh convenient or to go along and transport somebody who has to lay down or something else like that. And that's where having all those things decided ahead of time and somebody saying, Hey, you know, here we can use my car and stage things appropriately because if Nothing happens, nothing happens. But if something does happen, you'll be very thankful for, that you went along and planned things out in advance. Exactly. Yeah. You'll just roll right into your scenario and everything will work out for the best. Uh, and one of the things that you make sure that you want to do is, is if you are calling into EMS um, and you're talking to the dispatch and law enforcement and that kind of stuff, you don't want to say that, the, that there was a shooting. You don't want to say that um, because the cops will arrive guns drawn thinking that something bad is going on that they're going to need to handle with firearms. What you want to make sure that you're doing is you're getting across that this is an accident at the range, um, uncontrolled bleeding, um, and that's why you need people at the range. You don't want to let the police think in any way that there has been a violent uh, encounter at any point. And one of the things to think about also, too, what do you tell the other people about their guns? that they have. I mean, you're on a range and somebody passes out and falls down. If you've got 10 other people there with loaded firearms, you know, what do you want them to do with it? Um, you know, a make sure that they get put away or holstered, um, would definitely be a good, good thing to do, but those are all 
things that have to be decided or you want to tell the students ahead of time because you might not think about it but if you can say okay so we have a situation and i say everybody's got to you know go along and um, you know holster their firearms that say you know you don't do anything else but you do that exactly then so that we can attend to it safely you don't want somebody walking over with a gun in their hand and saying hey i know cpr as he's as he's muzzling uh, people because you could end up with multiple problems there uh, that's a great point. I think um, on top of that, you also have to uh, secure the gear of the injured personnel. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they might have guns and weapons and valuable things, and you might have to, you're probably going to have to secure those and keep those uh, safe. And I mean, you got a weapons, you're going to have to have that gear accountability. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most, uh, most definitely for it. And in a lot of cases, if you know, police officers, they would appreciate it because if they come there and, and they've got a um, pistol on their waist, they're going to have to secure it. And that's a whole lot of extra paperwork for them. Or if they make it to the hospital, the hospital is going to have to secure it. And if you go along and secure it for them, they call you up in a day or two and say, Hey, you know, and you, you secured my firearm. Thank you for that. You know, when, when can we meet to, you know, hand it off? You know, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Being aware of uh, the situation itself and being prepared ahead of time and going through it uh, in the scenario, I think is what's going to be the key. If you can rehearse it with your staff um, and just with your students in, in tow, uh, that's also beneficial. Not only are they getting firearms training, but they're getting you know a quick tourniquet class on top of it. Um, and I think that's always beneficial for everybody. If you're going to learn how to punch holes in people, you got to learn how to patch holes in people because those could be the people that you love uh, or patch them in yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or people that you're training. So <laughs> yeah. you got to learn how to do them. Well, hey, Brian, so, something that, um, you know, we've touched on a lot of medical issues and the need to go along and treat them and things like that. What are some of the kits that, that Mountain Man Medical has that instructors might be interested from a range kit perspective? Uh, our top range kit is the Wind River. That's our bestseller. I designed that uh, with the range in in mind. So it has all of your major bleeding control stuff. Uh, you know, of course, tourniquets and wound packing and pressure dressings, um, chest seals, of course, for your penetrating uh, chest wall trauma. Um, but on top of that, we also have some uh, first aid items in there for like uh, over the counter meds, like your Motrin and Tylenol, and that kind of stuff. Uh, it, I think that's one of the beneficial things. Whenever I go to the range, my whole goal there is not for my life to suck. My whole goal is to learn as much as I possibly can and get the most out of my money. And if I'm comfortable, the more comfortable that I am, the better I'm going to learn. So if I've got those, you know, those minor first aid things taken care of, you know, band-aids, um, the over-the-counter meds, I'm going to be a little more comfortable, especially with things like brass burns. Uh, we've got some burn cream in our wind river trauma kits. Uh, you know, I try to think about everything that I've seen out on the range and, uh, how I'm going to be able to take care of that. So it's got a little bit of everything for every situation. Generally, I'd say that those are more of an in-place kit because they're on the larger side. So, um, one of the things that I'll recommend that you do is maybe take a mailbox, a mailbox is a great way of storing your trauma kit on the range. You can paint it bright red or paint a bright red um, a cross on it so everybody can see it and knows that that's where your trauma kit is at. And then it's um, away from the sunlight and the elements. And so your trauma gear is staying nice and protected, but it's still in a nice, easy to see location so that you can get to it. The one that I recommend that um, 
instructors have on their person is going to be the Yellowstone trauma kit. And that's going to have um, your basic bleeding control items for one person, uh, one tourniquet, uh, two chest seals, pressure dressing, quick clot. Um, and that's going to be designed to take care of a single person. And then the wind river is going to have all of your extra supplemental things. And one of the advantages to, uh, to these kits is if they um, use the use the items, the tourniquets in them, the chest seals and things like that, they get replaced, right? That's that. Yep, absolutely. If you use the stuff in our kits, uh, we'll replace all the things that you used uh, so that uh, you, you know, you're taken care of. We want people to use our stuff. Uh, we don't want them feeling like they can't use it or they need to save money. Um, when in doubt, you take care of the people that are around you and uh, let us know when we got you on the back end. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's a great um piece of support because yeah you get you use a you know use a tourniquet or use you know something um up and it's like oh well i gotta go along do this well take call up and look at that you can go along and get a replacement for it because you're supporting the instructors that way so these are great kits for the instructors to think about for the range and also along lines to uh, carry on them their person because here's one of the things I like about the Yellowstone kit is when you look at it and think about it, they can carry it. Um, running back, you know, 50 feet to grab a the Wind River kit isn't terrible until you start putting a uh, stopwatch to it and you start realizing that covering 50 feet might take you 30 seconds to 50 feet and then 50 feet back. 30 yeah. seconds is a long time when, when you've got a serious injury that you've got to get a ch uh, chest seal on or a tourniquet on, those those types of things. So having instructors that have it and, ca and carrying it on their body mean that immediately they recognize the problem, they pull it off, and they've got it right there in front of them, potentially saving those 30 seconds. Yeah. Time is money. It's also life in some situations, you know, like it's important for you to be quick and accurate. It's also important to have enough medical gear to handle the situation. Uh, you might have say, say that bullet is a negligently discharged into two separate people. It goes through two sets of legs and now you're going to need tourniquets to take care of all of those. Um, having more medical gear is always better than not having enough, of course. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and definitely, and really do love your idea of a mailbox. I've made suggestions of that at uh, several different ranges and they're waterproof being mailboxes. And then it gives them a really common place to be able to go along and pull their uh, medical, you know, first, first aid items right out of there. And yes, people are probably going to use 99, you know, bandages before they use the tourniquet. But if they all know where they're at, that one time they need that tourniquet all of a sudden they know exactly where it's at because that's the same place they go to for all the boo-boos, uh, you know, from along those lines, the burn creams, the bandages, the uh, neosporin for those small little uh, scrapes that they get on the range. Yep, yep. Some people sometimes will do the uh, ammo cans. That's an excellent way of doing it too. You paint a bright red ammo can um, and then that's somewhere on the location. Um, I think those, having those locations in a good uh, spot where everybody's going to see them is going to be ideal. And then it also gives you a place to put your medical plan, your checklist, so that if anybody runs there, they know where all the medical gear is, they know where the plan is. So if you're one of those people that got shot, 
you know, you've got somebody there that knows the plan and can take care of you on top of that. Cause being, I, I've been to my fair share of ranges. I've been an instructor on ranges, many occasions. I know how hairy it can get out there. You, you never know who you're going to get in your class. You don't know their levels of training, awareness, and safety. And uh, your safety is paramount. You got to get at home to your family, you know, so having, mm-hmm. having that stuff available is going to be ideal. Yeah. And keep in mind, of all the factors you've got, you've got people that you don't know coming to your class. They're using firearms that you don't know for it. They're using ammunition that is unknown to you. And when you start going along thinking about it, there could be some things that go wrong um, for it from the very benign to where somebody goes along and they forget to take their insulin in the morning and they start going in diabetic shock, you know, before lunch. And, or you could go more, you know, having a bigger issue where somebody's got uh, ammo uh, that in these times, ammo's getting more available. But last year at this time, it's hard to get a hold of ammo. What happens if they've got some ammo that they bought at a uh, show? a gun show sometime it works kind of but all of a sudden it blows up and the gun go uh, goes to pieces if you watch kentucky ballistics you can see what happens when you pick up uh unknown sources of ammunition and good thing is he was able to put a thumb in it and survived but at the same time i guarantee you he would rather not had to go through that situation uh if he would have known that ahead of time and that's where you're dealing with a lot of variables, dealing with a public course, and you've got to be prepared for that from an instructor standpoint. I think that's a perfect example of why uh, medical training is so important because essentially the problem there is like most people will train on tourniquets. Everybody knows about a tourniquet. Maybe they've seen a YouTube video or two and they know how to use one or the, the basic idea behind one, but tourniquets only work on your arms and legs. Um, And in this particular situation with Kentucky ballistics, I mean, that was completely out of his hands. You know, Mm -hmm. he, he took all of the steps to be as safe as possible, wore all his PPE and he still almost died. And essentially what he did is he wound packed his own neck. He had that hole in his neck where he was bleeding profusely. He stuffed a hole, a, a thumb into that hole and put direct pressure on the artery. That's wound packing. So that's a great example of why you need to know at least a little bit of stuff um, to kind of come out on top. The great thing about trauma medicine is they let people like me do it. It's Mm -hmm. so easy. Once you know the idea behind it, bleeding control is not that difficult. The only thing that we're trying to do is keep this person alive for a short period of time until EMS can arrive or we can get to them to the hospital. Doing that's not that difficult. So like learning gun training is far more difficult in my opinion, having done both extensively, learning how to shoot a gun is much more difficult. There's a lot of things that go into your fine motor skills, um, remembering all of the steps for each one of these tactical problems is, is a big deal, but learning bleeding control is not that hard. It'll take you a short period of time. Um, and you just need a refresher every once in a while to kind of stay on top of it. And it's, and, uh, you'll do a lot of good, save a lot of lives. Remember your ABCs, right? Right. Doc airway, uh, that makes sure they're, they're, uh, breathing and that they have uh, uh circulation for it. And, yep. you know, there's different ways of going along and making sure they're breathing. Uh, for it you can go along and do the fingertips for the blood perfusion and mm-hmm. if you're at each one of those if they if something doesn't work there's a 
pretty simple way of going along and chest compressions, mouth to mouth, um, you know, bleeding control, all those t- different kind of things to make sure that, um, you know, they stay together until EMS or until you get them to, uh, you know, trauma, trauma uh, center for it. Yep. Our emergency trauma response course, we go over uh, the March algorithm, which is, is very similar to the, uh, the ABCs. Um, and that's uh, directly related to not only combat trauma management, um, but just regular emergency trauma management. So if you are ever in a shooting and you need to render aid to somebody, these exact skills will transfer across. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been really great um, information, Brian, to uh, share with the instructors out there. And hopefully they got a lot of good information. Uh, this is a see, this is a episode one of season four, and we got a special question for you this, uh, this season. Can you recommend an annual event that instructors should uh, check out and potentially go to that'll help them? Absolutely. And I'm going to throw you a curveball and not talk about the guardian nation conference. Uh, cause that's a, I don't know. It just feels a little biased. I'm going to, I love the guardian nation conference. It's a great time. I'm going to be an instructor there. Um, so if you get a chance this year, uh, to come out, it's going to be a fantastic time. You can find information about that over at concealedcarry.com. Uh, it's called the guardian nation conference and it might be, uh, nearby to you, but, um, the one that I'm going to recommend is one that I did a couple of months ago with Mickey shook. I went out and took, uh, the S 12 challenge with carry trainer. And, um, this was my, the first class that I got to attend in a long time as, as a student, I was helping to teach the, the trauma management uh, portion out there, but primarily I was just a student there to learn. And it was very well-rounded. Uh, they had, uh, grappling classes where they were teaching, you know, basic hand-to-hand skills. They had a PT session in the morning where you just show up and, um, you get led through some just easy calisthenics. It wasn't like burner PT. It wasn't like they were trying to break you off or, you know, ruin your day. It was, it was very comfortable and the whole experience was just really well done. And I really enjoyed it. I thought, uh, it was well-rounded with not just firearms training, but also medical. Um, they had, um, uh, physical fitness and nutrition. And, uh, then of course, um, the grappling. So I thought it was just very well-rounded. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's good. And Mickey does that in, uh, Tennessee, very close to, uh, where I am. And it looks like the next one's in October 6th through 9th. So I know if you, several people have gone through this 12 challenge and, uh, you know, very, everybody I know that's gone to has really, really, really liked it. It will push you. I, I will say that it will push you. Um, but it's not going to push you beyond your limits. Like it, it, you go there, you'll work, you'll learn. Uh, it's not one of the easier conferences that I've ever been to. Um, but I would definitely say uh, worth your time and money and effort. Great. Well, Hey, Brian, where can people find more out about classes you're teaching podcasts that you're on different things like that? Mountmanmedical.com is the best place uh, to find all of my content. Uh, we've got all our trauma kits there. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I uh, t- every week I post a video on uh, trauma medicine and different things to think about. And um, you can find me there. And uh, all of our podcasts that I'm in are going to be over on uh, mountmanmedical.com. We've got all the links and everything for that. Perfect. Hey, I forget to ask you this, but how much is this uh, range? Uh, course the uh, uh, medicine course it's very cheap it's two dollars 
Okay. There you go. There is no excuse why people can't go along and, uh, and take that course and, uh, come out with something, you know, useful that they can transfer into their, into their classes. And like you said, at the end of it, you'll get a uh, checkoff list that you can use to make your courses uh, a little bit more safe or a little bit more, um, a little bit more knowledgeable all the way around, uh, before you start them. Definitely adds to the professionalism and credibility of the, the courses that you're given for sure. Great. Well, Brian, thank you again for your time and always great to have you on the podcast. We'll look to have you on in the near future and glad to see what you're doing. The mountain men medical is really making a difference out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Those are kind words. Take care. Thank you. That's a wrap for episode one of season four. And we have plenty of great topics still to come in season four. As we start our fourth season, I'd like to ask each and every listener out there to share your favorite podcast episode on Facebook, Twitter, or just send something out on social media. Let people know what you found interesting. We also want to encourage you to leave a review, Google Play, iTunes, or any other podcast service so that others can take advantage of the content we've developed over the last three years. Do you have a topic you'd like me to talk about or somebody you'd like me to interview? Or do you have a topic you would like to come on and talk about? Email me your suggestions and topics at ftp at concealedcarry.com. You can also leave us comments on our Facebook page on our website farmtrainerpodcast.com. Our website also allows you to search all our previous episodes to find great information on marketing, additional training, medical, and dealing with challenges. Visit our sponsors, especially the Farm Trainers Association, ftaprotect.com, and check out their instructor insurance. Being a certified instructor allows you to apply for coverage. Remember to use code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. We bring this podcast support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every farm instructor in America dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Quick note, it's amazing to me that over three years ago, I started this podcast, and I really appreciate the listeners out there. Some I've met, some I haven't, but I'd appreciate all of you. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.